Hey, Typology Tribe, Ian Morgan Cron here. So excited for today's guest, my friend, my actual friend, Bonnie Smith, White House PhD, author of the new book, Seasons of Wonder, Making the Ordinary Sacred Through Projects, Prayers, Reflections, and Rituals, and Enneagram 2. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Woo, woo, woo! Woo, woo! Thank you, Ian. It is a delight and an honor to get to talk with you and to see you today. Well, we get to see each other when I'm in the country. We get to see each other every Sunday at our church, St. Augustine's Episcopal Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee, where you've been for 20 years. I've only been there for like eight. You've been there for 20. What a great place, right? It is a wonderful place. We love St. A's. We do. From the bottom of our hearts. It's a wonderful place. Bonnie, you're an Enneagram 2. Tell us how you found the Enneagram, and then tell us all the dirty secrets of Enneagram 2s. What you love about them, what you hate about them. Wow. Well, I... How did I learn about the Enneagram? I was in adult Sunday school a decade ago, and this guy named Ian came in to talk to us about his new book about the Enneagram. And I don't know if you remember that. That was for most of us, I think, the first time we'd ever heard of the Enneagram, certainly for me. And you handed out a handout that sort of summarized the types. And I was sitting there in the A-frame going down, like, that's my mom, that's my husband, that's my sister, and completely not making any thinking really about who I was, which I think is two, right? That's a two. Uh-huh. So we, when you went over the two, I thought, ugh, no, that's not me. And so for the next several years, actually, I mistyped myself. Mm-hmm. First as a four and then as a three. So as a four, I see myself in four a lot, um, especially with the individualist individualism and with romanticism and longing for, you know, something different. I think there's a lot of four in that. So I kind of thought that was me, but it turns out that's just my sister who I'm extremely close to. And then I thought, well, maybe I've got a lot of three in me too. I certainly value my um, accomplishments and I want to be known as someone who is competent and worthy. And, you know, then I sort of sniffed around one for a little while and thought, you know, there, I can see a lot of one in me as well. I got a lot of reformer and improver, but that's, I remember you saying that's often just your parents giving off fumes. That's my mom. My mom's the one. And so finally, and quite interestingly, the person who nailed me as a two was my literary agent. Mm, wow. Yeah. And it was after, really, when I was into my second book project, we were having a conversation and she was getting pretty deep into the Enneagram. And Anna said, you know, I think you're a two. And I thought about it for a few days and then I realized, wow, that is actually who I am. And I can see it very profoundly through my writing. And um, it was very interesting to me because I identify as a writer, probably primarily as after being a wife and a mother and a human, I identify as a writer that the writing I've done in my life is very too like it's very much about how I can help other people write their own story, Mm. whether it's about becoming more aware of their inner lives or becoming more 
aware of themselves as creative people, or in my latest book, In Seasons of Wonder, helping them write the story for themselves when it comes to God. Mm. So through my book projects, I've really been interested in helping people. And that is very two-like, I think. So it's fascinating to me that my agent pegged me as a two. Mm. Let me make just a quick little insertion here for our audience. So you're a two, and it would make sense the struggle that you had because you wing three, you wing one, and the two in security goes to four. So the fact that you would be thinking, oh, I see this four, I see this three, I see this one, that also makes a lot of sense as well. Mm-hmm. So, Ian. Well, it's good to know that I make some sense. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling for sure. (laughs) Wanting to make sense. And I love what you're saying, too. You know, we always tap back on this when someone mentions it. But, you know, here at Typology, you know, we talk a lot about narrative and the power of how human beings see their own life experience through the lens of story. Right? We, We understand ourselves as a story. Right. In our past. And it's unfolding in the present. So you your work is about helping people in and through their stories, right? Mm. And uh, help assisting them on there. And I do think that's a very two thing to, to do, you know, in the world. You just made me also think about my own writing because my writing is actually very four until more recently, you know, mm-hmm. like my first book was a novel mm-hmm. and that was a very four exercise. Mm-hmm. And then my next book was a memoir, which was drenched in four energy yeah. I mean, drenched. When I go back and read that book, because it was before I really dove into the Enneagram, I'm like, oh, my God, this is like a, such a four book. And then, of course, the road back to you and the story of you were nonfiction. And they were the two hardest books for me to write because they weren't as story. They were creative, but they weren't as artful as a novel in a memoir. Does that make mm. sense? It you know does. I mean? And, you know, Ian, I've been I'm a writing teacher by trade. My Ph.D. is in rhetoric and composition, which means I help people understand how language and story constructs our reality. I don't know that I can think of anybody I know who's a professional writer, whose voice is as authentic in his books as it is in real life, like you. When you speak, you sound as eloquent as your book. And I could read your books without knowing that you wrote them and know that you wrote them. I really could. And that's part of my professional training, I think, by, you know, getting to know somebody's voice. And I think you you should hear that, you know, your voice really shines through very clearly in those two books. Well, thank you so much. That's That's um, so sweet. Yeah. And if we have more time, I'd let you continue. Anyway. And, um, and remember these words. May you have love. May you. That's, that's, that's <laughs> Let's close it out. That's our blessing at the end, Bonnie. That's the closing blessing of typology. I was just making the point like, that's a wrap. Yeah. It's no, it's, it's so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. I will carry that with me today and really be grateful. It may have something to do, too, with recovery, with the way recovery mm. has helped you become authentic in your voice, too. So mm-hmm. that's interesting to me from a writing perspective. Yes. Well, I mean, plenty to talk to about the, on the writing front about about all that, because that's a project that I'm I'm working on right now that I'd love to share with you and get your feedback on. Okay. Talk about your new book to us. Like what's going on in this new book, Seasons of Wonder? I've You sent me a copy of it. I managed time-wise to be able to read through maybe a quarter of it, but I want you to really describe it to other people. 
how it really maybe re- is a reflection of you as a two. Interesting. Okay, so Seasons of Wonder is a book that is aimed at individuals or families of choice who would like to spend some intentional time together every week, nurturing their inner lives and doing that in a world that constantly beckons us outward to, you know, all kinds of things, everything from Instagram to phones to Prince Harry and, you know, Trump and all kinds of stuff. But the spirit is moving in the world beyond all these things that are constantly beckoning us. And I think it's really important to spend some time nurturing your inner life. And the things that have helped me do that most in my life are in this book. And I happen to be, as you are, an Episcopalian. And I hope that I have brought in what I consider to be some of the best of the Episcopal tradition, some of the best of the liturgical tradition and the Christian tradition throughout the book as um, a way to help people think about nurturing their inner lives and building real community and real deep family together. So the book is organized around the seasons of the year as well as the liturgical seasons within the Christian tradition. And the book is all about helping us move away from what I would call a drug called certainty. I think certainty is a drug that I have seen people drench themselves in um, when it comes to their faith and their spiritual lives for a long time. Certainly as a professor over the past 20, 25 years, I've seen it a lot in my students and I've seen them completely abandon spirituality because certainty, that drug of certainty has just gotten too toxic for them. And so what is really powerful to me is wonder. And it's always been really powerful to me. Yep. I guess as an Enneagram too, I think about the stories that really grabbed a hold of me when I was young. And those stories were stories like the story of Helen Keller that you mentioned in your section on Enneagram twos and the story of you. I read the free copy of Helen Keller's autobiography that I got at the Scholastic Book Fair probably 20 or 25 times when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. And I, interestingly, it was adapted by someone named Lorena Hickok. This is your trivia for today. Lorena Hickok, I came to learn many, many years later in book club, was the lover probably of Eleanor Roosevelt. Isn't that crazy? Wow. She lived in the White House, um, but she was a journalist who took this approach of telling the story of Helen Keller's life. And I read it over and over again, having no idea that I was reading something that was written by Eleanor Roosevelt's best buddy. So anywho, the Helen Keller story was really powerful for me. You know, a narrative of somebody who overcame absolutely every obstacle and became this incredible fighter for justice. I want people to connect with the way the spirit is moving in the world right here and now. Julian of Norwich said the fullness of joy is finding God everywhere and everything. And I keep that little post-it on my computer all the time because I want people to feel that in the world. And again, that's my tunis coming out that I really want people to um, feel the spirit moving in the world in their own lives, in their families' lives. And so the book gives you 52 opportunities to sit down with your family and talk about an action that will help you think about that. Everything from stargazing and bird watching to learning how to compost 
and mend, learning how to sew. So these are real concrete things that human beings can do in the world that connect us with the divine. And, you know, that just feels very useful to me as a two. Mm. You know, I love what you just said of the uh, Julian and Norwich, right? Also, there's another quote like that. There's two of them, actually, I can think of, because I love those kinds of quotes. One is, I can't remember the, the attribution, but it is, nick the surface of anything and you will find the face of God. Mm. And the other one was, it is the madness, who said this? You know, it is the madness of great love to see God in everything. Mm, I don't know. To I'm see God in all things. The of everything and you will see the face of God. I love that, Ian. Isn't that a good one? You're welcome. <laughs> who wrote those two quotes? I don't remember who the first one is, but the second one I think is Julian of Norwich. It's, it is the madness of great love to see God in all things. Mm. Wow. I love the madness of great love. What a mm. great little phrase. All right, so Bonnie, Enneagram 2s. As you've come into more self-awareness and self-knowledge, right, we know that Enneagram 2s have a deep need to be liked. Some people think that it's more complicated than that, but actually it's not. Like 2s really want to be liked, and they want to use helping others as a strategy for winning approval. Now, is that your story? Yes, I guess and it's really hard to hear. It's hard to hear both of those things. Mm. And I think that's a good clue for me that I know I'm a two. That it just, it's piercing to hear both of those things because my basic, deepest fear is being useless and unlovable. Just undeserving of love, unlovable at the core, and of no use. You know, I think I probably wouldn't have been able to really articulate that before learning more about the Enneagram and spending some time in therapy, doing some work on my own story. Um, But that is piercing. And then to really come to terms with the idea that maybe I've been strategic over time and helping and and winning people over by helping them feels very abusive. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to believe that about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Manipulative. So it's hard to imagine, but it probably is true in some ways. I hope that I've done it. I hope that when I've tried to win people over, it's been truly altruistic and with a good reason. But yeah, I mean, I think you harness your personality or I harness my personality as a two to help to make people love me and to make myself indispensable to them. Mm, Indispensable Mm. is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes what a two wants to do is create a dependency in the yeah. other person. So there's a seductive quality to the unhealthy too. It's like, let me get you into my web. And the way I'm going to get you into the web is through flattery. I'm going to tell you things that I'm going to just kind of cover you up with, you know, oh, you're this and you're that. And then the person becomes kind of addicted to the love. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, they'll just keep coming back for more of that. And then it kind of creates this, a strange dependency that, yeah. again, this is an unhealthy too. I'm not saying this is you, but that's a a stark picture of what the unhealthy two can be like in the world. You know, like when I just told you about your book and how it really feels like a beautiful, true representation of your voice. I'm not saying that because it's not true. Flattery is complicated because I, when I give a compliment like that, especially when I just gave it to you, that's a real thing that I've thought a lot about as I've read your work and I've read Mm. all your stuff. Oh, Um, 
I didn't, I took that as a compliment, not as flattery. Oh, tell me the difference. Well, I do think that flattery has a manipulative kind of side to it. It's kind of a little snaky. You know what I mean? Whereas a compliment is a genuinely kind affirmation or mm-hmm. naming of something that the other has that is admirable or good. Flattery is a, it's like this silver-tongued kind of quality, it's just sort of like... Well, and one's a little more altruistic too, right? And one has a hook in it. Yeah, the compliment is more altruistic. The other, it does have a hook. Yeah, yeah. So I would also say that twos, when they're really self-aware, no longer see others as the supply source of their self-esteem. Yeah. 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 I feel that. The beautiful thing about what you did, Bonnie, was you have the capacity to meet Ian in that place to be able like you're equipped to be able to see it and say it. I think that's the beautiful thing about the two and a healthy two, right? One of the things we talk about uh, on this show sometimes is after him having said that, are you able to distinguish thinking back? Oh yeah. There's times where I've sort of weaponized that gift of mine. I'm working on it. Or used it to get something as opposed to I'm actually get, I'm actually getting something instead of giving something away. Do you, are you able to recognize that in real time? I think maybe I'm learning better. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, I'm sort of operating in the present all the time, I think. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the future. I mean, I, as a mother, I worry about things that could happen to my children or I worry about their futures. So there's where I do future thinking. But I really don't do a lot of analysis or spending time thinking about the past I think so, I referenced the past because you seem like a healthy two. So, yeah, there, were there times where I may have said something in the past that was like that? But, you know, right. anyway. Yeah, it's what I do, I guess, is I think about like a conversation that I had 24 hours ago. And what if I why didn't I do this or what if I was mm. perceived this way? Actually, I did. I had a conversation about 24 hours ago and I have reworked that in my head a few times and thought, ew. I probably came across in such a way that I was trying to get something Mm. when really I was just trying to be authentic. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you just said about being more or less, you know, there are time orientations, right? So Mm. three, sevens and eights tend to be more future minded and fours, fives and nines tend to be more past oriented. Okay. And ones, twos and sixes tend to be present oriented. Fascinating. So you actually just kind of gave another confirmation that you're a two. Interesting. What is it about sixes? I can see it with ones, but what is it about sixes that makes them present? Well, actually, sixes are kind of complicated. Three sixes and nines are kind of complicated with the time orientation. But remember, there's a kind of a future orientation, but it's also done in the present and unproductive thinking in the present. But, you know, sixes deal with what's right there, you know. But they also have a little bit of a future orientation because it's like, okay, what could go wrong in the future? Right. Anyway, so what is your relationship with your deadly sin of pride? Ooh. <sighs> what is my relationship with pride? You know, the idea of control, the idea that I'm responsible for everybody's perceptions of me, the idea that my presence or my efforts or my work 
mean a damn thing, you know, mean anything at all. I, you know, I think I tend to overinflate what it means if I show up or don't show up. You know, if I, if I can't make it to a party, nobody cares. So the story I would tell myself is that if I don't do something, in particular, if I don't do something, it means a whole lot. When I think sometimes my presence, my contributions are just that not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I need to remind myself of that, that um, it's not a life or death kind of situation. If I show up or if I forget to do something, everybody's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, that brings up two things for me. One is, and you'll probably know this because you're a professor and you reader, you'll probably know the source of this, but I think it's from the Kabbalah and the Jewish mystical tradition. I don't remember if it was a rabbi or who it was, but in one pocket, I know that there was a prime minister who did this, an Israeli prime minister. In one pocket, he carried on a piece of paper the verse, you are just a little bit lower than the angels. And in the other pocket, he carried the verse, from dust you have come and from dust to dust you shall return. Oh, that's beautiful. And it was just sort of like his way of reminding himself mm-hmm. that I am beautiful and angelic mm-hmm. and also I am dust. <laughs> wow. Love that. That speaks to me. Yeah. And then the other one I was going to mention at the risk of putting that one too far into the rearview mirror was this idea that twos, they're known for hyperinflation and hyperdeflation. So mm. in other words... And this, this is part of the pride syndrome. They either overinflate their importance and their value mm-hmm. or they overdeflate it. And they kind of ping back and forth, which is a little bit of what I hear in what you just said. And that's in both cases, it's pride. Yeah. I right. think in the book, you have a line that in the chapter about to either I'm indispensable or I'm worthless. Yes. I think that's you. Yeah. That, that really resonates for me. Yeah, there's there's the inflation and deflation, right? Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, it just typifies twos, which is why twos often, by the way, because of the whole deflation thing, this is the reason why they have so much trouble identifying with pride as their deadly sin, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I actually don't think very highly of myself at all. I actually struggle with thinking highly of myself. It's like, yeah, and that's a part of the pride thing, right? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, so very true. So in the new book, what is it you really want? Like, what is the change you're trying to bring about in, in people's lives? So I wrote this book that I wish that I'd written before March of 2020. And as I was, you know, kind of writing it and thinking about it, I was like, I wish that this book had existed for people when we all stayed home, because it's the kind of book that really gives us something simple and concrete to do that I hope feels very sacred for people in a time when, you know, I think we're rethinking church, we're rethinking what it means to come together and worship and offer devotion and pray together. So I wrote the kind of book that I wish that had existed in March, 2020. And last night, for example, I got this, I've been getting all these notes on Instagram, which you probably get all the time, Ian, you know, from readers. And it's been really thrilling to see pictures of 
people who are laying out their tables for their seasons of wonder or weekly Ooh. gathering with their friends. The one I got last night um, was from somebody who's an attorney and she had invited um, several other adults who were in her professional realm and small town to have a seasons of wonder gathering every week this year. And they had, she sent a picture of the table that was very simply laid out with a singing bowl and um, the book and a way to make some notes. And it was just so like, that just really made my heart sing to see people literally organizing some gatherings that to me feel a whole lot like what church is supposed to be, Mm. or really what the early church was before the Roman empire got a hold of it and um, made it grand Mm. and full of creeds and rules and stuff and said, here are the official readings. We're going to make these the official stories. But before that, it was so much freer. There was so much more freedom in the early church. And I dream of, you know, moving toward that in our really interesting time that we're in. How might I help people facilitate moving into small community, into gatherings in the home that feel authentic and are really ways that you can wrestle with your faith you don't have to worry about feeling certain about every single thing um, and that you can love each other and love creation. That's, you know, that's a big part of this book too, is that I love the earth and um, I want people to take better care of it, take better care of the creatures and the flora and the fauna that are part of our earth and in turn, take better care of ourselves and each other. And so I hope that taking care of creation taking care of community, finding time to gather together and observe the spirit working in the world. That's what I hope happens through this book. You know, what you just said also, I want to just highlight for people is also very Enneagram two. (laughs) Uh, Because twos, fours can do this to an extent, but not quite like twos. Twos have this remarkable gift for creating spaces, experiences and Mm. moments of community for people. And they really get a lot of joy from it. I get so much joy from that. I know. And so good at curating those experiences and welcoming people into home and places of safety and places of joy where they feel good about telling their stories without fear. I mean, all that stuff, right? I got a note last night from um, a friend of mine. I hosted my book club on Sunday night and I had all these things on Sunday that I didn't have a chance to really get the house super tidy. And, you know, with little boys, there's always crazy stuff going on all the time. So I just decided, all right, I'm going to just lean into this. And this is going to be an imperfect house with a humble meal and hopefully a way that makes people feel more at home and less stressed out about hosting themselves in the future. And I got the kindest text message from somebody Mm. yesterday morning who was there, whose home I think is just Perfect. I mean, it's like the most beautiful home in the world, but it it meant the world to me that my home felt joyful and Mm -hmm. welcoming to her because I have a hard time as somebody who was raised by a one, you know, not walking in the room and immediately seeing that one thing that's wrong. I love my mom more than anything, but she is a one. And I wrote about her in the introduction. I don't know if you um, remember the part. She, my mom is somebody who could be walking down the sidewalk And she'll be like, hold on. And she'll reach down and pick up a four-leaf clover. She's been doing it for her whole life because she immediately is able to notice that thing that's not quite right. Wow. I.e. the four-leaf clover and she'll just pluck it out. That's an amazing skill in a lot of ways. 
but you've got to really be, or I've tried to be really be thoughtful about that, about not being too hard on myself. You know, when I walk in to my kid's room, you know, immediately identifying the shirt that's on the floor or whatever, but instead trying to see the beautiful thing that he's done with his panda collection. <laughs> right. Right. And of course your son is 22 and he can do cool things with his panda collection. Wait, no, he's not 22. I know. I'm just kidding. If you have a 22 living at home with a panda collection, things have gone south. <laughs> he is welcome to live with me as long as he would like to, Ian. <sighs> Uh, well, be careful. I've had a 25 with me living recently, and you might come to rue that uh, that, <laughs> okay. that decision. I love my boy, but I also <laughs> I love living just with my wife. It's all uh, it's a, that's a wonderful thing too. Yeah. Bonnie, I have loved this conversation. I want to remind everybody that Bonnie has this wonderful new book out, Seasons of Wonder, Making the Ordinary Sacred Through Projects, Prayers, Reflections, and Rituals. She is my friend. She is an Enneagram too. She is a PhD professor at Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee. She's got it. And she's an Episcopalian. I mean, she is the whole package. Wow. Thanks, Ian. You're the whole package too, buddy. Wow. Thank you. Anthony, you're not too uh, shabby yourself. (laughs) Right? Thank you. Anthony. Yes. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I'm telling you, I don't even remember if I said this when we were on air or not, but this book is right up my alley. I mean, I have all these practices that I do the other. Well, anyway, I'm not going to go into it, but it's just so up my alley and I can't wait to read it. So thank you. That's so great. Love it. Genuinely excited about it. And I just started following you on Instagram too. Why don't you give us your handles? Okay. At... Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I-E-S-M-I-T-H-W-H-I-T-E-H-O-U-S-E at Bonnie Smith Whitehouse on Instagram. Awesome. Nice. And what's your website? BonnieSmithWhitehouse.com. Nice. Hey, everybody, please go check out all of that stuff. Please check out Bonnie's new book. Again, Seasons of Wonder. Making the Ordinary Sacred Through Projects, Prayers, Reflections, and Rituals. Bonnie, thanks again. Thank you. You bet. And Typology Tribe, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. Whether you're looking to build a website for your business, your hobby, your podcast, or just for fun, Pair Networks is your go-to web hosting partner. Not only do we have the lowest domain price in the industry, starting at just 11 bucks, we've got hundreds of stunning website templates to help you stand out from the crowd. You're not a techie? Not a problem. With our easy DIY site builders, you can launch your impressive website without any technical know-how. And when it comes to security and updates, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our 24-7 U.S.-based customer support is the best in the industry. Check out Pair.com today to learn more. P-A-I-R dot com.